0: chapter 21 of baseball joe of the silver stars by lester chadwick this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by donald cummings chapter 21 to the rescue joe matson felt as though he was walking in the air when he went home that afternoon following the scrub game that his ambition was about to be realized and so soon after joining the team was almost unbelievable why what's the matter joe asked clara as her brother fairly pranced into the house, caught her around the waist, and swung her in the start of a waltz. Matter? Plenty's the matter. I'm going to pitch on the stars Saturday. Hooray! My! Anyone would think you were going to pitch up to the stars the way you're going on. Let go of me. You'll have my hair all mussed up. That's easily fixed. Yes, I'm going to pitch. Against whom? The Fayetteville Academy, on their grounds. It won't be much of a game, and I'm not to go in until it's in the ice box. In the ice box? Yes, the refrigerator, you know, safe. Then I'm to try my hand at putting em over. Of course, I'd like to go the whole nine innings, but I can't have everything at the start. It's mighty decent of Darrell to give me this chance. Aren't you glad, sis? Yes, of course I am. I'd like to see the game, but I've used up all my allowance for this week, and... Here, and Joe held out a dollar blow yourself sis oh what horrid slang i mean go to the game on me i'll stand treat take a girl if you want to and see yours truly do himself proud joe hunted up his mother to tell her the good news he found her in the room which his father had fitted up as a workshop since the suspicious actions of mr benjamin at the harvester factory mrs matson was looking over some papers and there was on her face the same worried look joe had seen there before "'Has anything happened, Mother?' he asked quickly, his own good news fading away, as he thought of the trouble that might menace his father. "'No, only the same trouble about the patent,' she said. "'There is nothing new, but your father thinks, from recent actions of Mr. Benjamin, that the manager suspects something. "'Your father is getting some papers ready to go to Washington, and I was looking them over for him. I used to work in a lawyer's office when I was a girl,' she went on with a smile.' and I know a little about the patent business, so I thought I would help your father if I could." "'Then there's nothing wrong?' "'Not exactly, and if all goes right, he will soon have his patent granted, and then those men cannot harm him. But you look as though you had good news.' "'I have,' and the lad fairly bubbled over in telling his mother of the chance that had so unexpectedly come to him. Mr. Matson was quite enthusiastic about Joe's chance when he came home from work, and together they talked about it after supper." "'I wish I could go see the game,' said Mr. Matson. "'but I am too busy.' "'How is the patent coming on?' asked Joe. "'Oh, pretty good. Thanks to you, I was warned in time. "'If I had left my drawings, patterns, and other things in the shop, "'I'm afraid it wouldn't be going so well. "'Mr. Benjamin evidently suspects something. "'Only today he asked me how I was coming on with it, "'and he wanted to know why I wasn't working on it any more.' I had to put him off with some excuse and he acted very queer right after that i heard him calling up mr holdney on the telephone but your worry will be over when your application is allowed suggested mrs matson joe went to his baseball practice with a vim in the days that intervened before the game that was to be so important to him tom davis helped him and several times cautioned his chum about overdoing himself if your arm gets stiff it's good night for you he declared in his usual blunt way you've got to take care of yourself joe i know it but i want to get up more speed that's all right speed isn't everything practice for control and that won't be so hard on you and as the days went on joe realized that he was perfecting himself though he still had much to learn about the great game it was a day before the contest when our hero was to occupy the box for the first time for the stars He and Tom had practiced hard, and Joe knew that he was fit. Joe wondered how Sam Morton had taken the news of his rival's advance, but if Sam knew, he said nothing about it, and, in the practice with the scrub, he was unusually friendly to Joe. For Darrell decided not to have the new pitcher go into the box for the Stars until the last moment. He did not want word of it to get out, and Joe and the catcher did some practice in private with signals. The last practice had been held on the afternoon prior to the game and arrangements completed for the team going to Fayetteville. Joe was on his way home, on a car with Tom Davis, for Riverside boasted of a trolley system. "'How do you feel?' asked Tom of his chum. "'Fine as a fiddle.' "'Your arm isn't lame or sore.' "'Not a bit. I can—' Joe was interrupted by a cry from two ladies who sat in front of them, the only other occupants of the vehicle save themselves. The car was going downhill and had acquired considerable speed dangerous speed joe thought and the motorman did not seem to have it well under control but what had caused the cry of alarm was this driving along the street parallel with the tracks and about three hundred feet ahead of the car was a boy in an open delivery wagon he was going in the same direction as was the electric vehicle suddenly his horse stumbled and fell almost on the tracks the wagon sliding half over the animal while the boy on the seat was hemmed in and pinned down by a number of boxes and baskets that slid forward from the rear of the wagon put on your brakes put on your brakes yelled the conductor to the motorman you'll run him down the motorman ground at the handle and the brake shoes whined as they gripped the wheels but the car came nearer and nearer the wagon the conductor on the rear platform was also putting on the brakes there suddenly the horse kicked himself around so that he was free of the tracks lying alongside them and far enough to one side so that the car would safely pass him there was a sigh of relief from the two woman passengers but a moment later it changed to a cry of alarm for the boy in the seat suddenly fell to one side and hung there with his head so far over that the car would hit him as it rushed past the lad was evidently pinned down by the boxes and baskets on his legs stop stop the car begged one of the ladies the other had covered her eyes with her hands i-i can't cried the motorman it's got too much speed i can't stop it joe sprang to his feet and made his way along the seat past tom to the running board of the car for the vehicle was an open one where are you going cried tom to save the lad he'll be killed if the car strikes him let the motorman do it he can't he's grinding on the brakes as hard as he can and so is the conductor i've got to save him these ladies can't i can lean over and pull him aboard the car but your arm you'll strain your arm and you can't pitch tomorrow. for an instant joe hesitated but only for an instant he realized that what tom said was true he saw a vision of himself sitting idly on the bench unable to twirl the ball because of a sprained arm then joe made up his mind i'm going to save him he cried as he hurried to the front end of the running board Then, clinging to the upright of the car with his left arm, he stretched out his other to save the lad from almost certain death, the conductor and motorman unable to lend aid and the women incapable. There was not room on the running board for Tom to help Joe. End of chapter twenty one recording by Donald Cummings, Monroe, Connecticut.